Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Assalamu alaikum. Stopwatch up. Thank you everyone um, for having me here today. I'm um, quite honored uh, to be here. Uh, although it's at a very sad note, um, I feel uh, every day that our world is overwhelmed with evil and um, violence and please uh, join me in making some prayer and dua for our sisters and brothers in Lahore, Pakistan. I also want to say on behalf of um, families, Syrian families who are here, many of whom are Arabic speaking, that they also extend their appreciation um, for this invitation for them to be here. Um, and they are very grateful for the hospitality of the New Jersey community of our Syrian sisters and brothers who have also experienced so much evil and pain and torture and have come here uh, in the embracement of a beautiful Muslim community in a beautiful community here in Jersey. So I thank you sisters and brothers for showing our Syrian sister brothers true sisterhood and brotherhood and true Islam. So I, I, I'm grateful for that and they are grateful uh, to be here with all of you today. Sisters and brothers, we are going through rough times as a Muslim community in the United States of America. And I tell people that, and they ask me all the time, they say, Sister Linda, you know, how do we combat Islamophobia? And I tell you, sisters and brothers, that the first and foremost thing every day when you wake up in the morning um, and you are thankful to Allah for giving you another opportunity to live, that you stay unapologetically Muslim. Sisters and brothers, the way you combat Islamophobia is by standing tall every day and being proud of the beautiful faith uh, that we have the uh, pleasure and conviction to follow. That we have nothing to apologize, sisters and brothers. We have everything to be proud of. And I think one of the things we do often in the Muslim community, particularly with our young people, is we teach young people a lot about Qur'an and memorization and we send them either to Islamic schools or we send them to weekend schools and I think that's important and hadith is important and teaching them Sira of the Prophet is important. But I also think what's important, especially in the context of living in the United States of America, is you have to teach your young people about their history in this country. What does it mean? What, what's the story of Islam in America? Just like black history is American history, Islam is American history. And I've been doing a lot of research on Islam in America, and I found some very amazing and remarkable and interesting information uh, about Islam in America. In the 1500s, there were 200 galley slaves who came here, Turks and Moors from North Africa. And they, were, uh, they helped build the first English colony, which was called Roanoke Colony. And many of you know it now as the coast of North Carolina. So Muslims have been here before the United States of America was called the United States of America. We were, we were, we were, we were on expeditions here. We came as explorers here. And then many years later, millions of African slaves were uprooted from Africa, stripped of their culture, of their identity, of their homes and families, and brought here to the United States of America. 25 to 30% of those African slaves were Muslims. So your lineage, our roots here, sisters and brothers, are so deep. These African slaves had to practice Islam in hiding. They couldn't be public Muslims. But because they did that, and because many people who came after them 
practiced Islam unapologetically, helped us build the institutions that we go to today, helped start communities that we are a part of now. We sisters and brothers have to pay homage to those who came before us that allowed us to be Muslims in America. Sisters and brothers, this country that we live in never existed without our faith. So when our children understand their history and someone tells them, go back to your country, or someone tries to propagate that somehow Islam is some foreign entity, that Islam is alien to the United States of America, that somehow Islam belongs in some other part of the world, if we knew our history, sisters and brothers, we would stand tall and say, absolutely not. This is my country. I, I have as much rights in this country as any other community. Muslims are contributors to this nation. This nation was built on the backs of immigrants and Muslims and black people. Understand that there wouldn't, we would not be the greatest nation on earth if it wasn't for communities like ours. So we don't have to apologize and be ashamed for who we are. We have so much to be proud of. We have given so much to this country and we continue to give so much to this country. 1,400 years ago, before the civil rights movement here in the United States of America, you had your own civil and human rights leader. We had our Prophet We don't have to look for role models outside of our community. We are taught the seerah of the Prophet, and sometimes I question, what do people mean by the seerah of the Prophet? It is the life of our Prophet. So what is it about the life of our Prophet that allows us to stand tall? What is it about Islam that makes me proud to be a Muslim? People say Islam, and I see these people go on national television and they say things like, Islam is a religion of peace. Every Abrahamic faith is a religion of peace, so I don't think we're really adding anything to the conversation. We don't have to say things that really need to be left unsaid. But what makes me proud to be an American Muslim, and a Muslim, is that Islam is a religion of justice. We know this, sisters and brothers, in our faith, that Islam has always been a, a religion founded in justice for all people, equality for all people. Our Prophet was a racial justice activist. He was a human rights activist. He was an environmental justice. He cared about the environment. He cared about the treatment of animals. Our Prophet was a feminist in his own right. So the, I remember being uh, somewhere uh, at a khutbah, and I remember uh, Imam narrating a hadith that was said by our beloved Prophet where he said, pay the worker, pay the worker before the sweat on his forehead dries. Sisters and brothers, that should be the mantra for the workers' rights justice movement in this country. And that was said by our beloved Prophet Sisters and brothers, this is how we speak about Islam. We don't have to get, sometimes I think in the Muslim community we have like, pop-up press conference. Like someone has a box and it opens up as soon as there's a terrorist attack and we're ready to apologize and condemn things on behalf of the whole Muslim Ummah. Let me explain something to you about what message we send when we do that. Sisters and brothers, when we, and you bear with me, and if you do this, I'm not judging people individually, I'm trying to help us have a conversation about what message we send to the rest of the world. When an attack happens that is perpetrated by Muslims or those who say that they are Muslim, and we get up only, and we stand up only 
when the victims of those attacks are non-Muslim, then what we are sending and the message we are sending to the rest of the world is that Muslim lives don't matter. That our, the victims and the majority of victims of terrorist groups across the world, sisters and brothers, are our sisters and brothers. So if you want to get up and you want to condemn attacks in Paris or Brussels, you better be standing up and doing a press conference condemning the attacks on our brothers and sisters in Lahore, Pakistan. Our religion, sisters and brothers, is a religion of equality and justice. It's about the sanctity of all life. In our religion, Christian, Muslim, Jewish people who don't believe in God, life, human life, sisters and brothers, all human life. When we stand up to condemn violence that is perpetrated by Muslims against non-Muslims, but do not do the same when the victims are Muslim or when the perpetrators of violence are non-Muslim, then what kind of message are we sending about Islam? Islam is a religion of consistency and integrity. And if we're going to stand up against evil, we stand up against all evil, or let's not stand up at all, sisters and brothers. I'm going to give you an example. When people remember the Charlie Edbo attacks, I went on national television, and right after my interview on national television, all the uncles were calling me. And the reason why was because uh, on the on the show that I was on, I was asked about the um, attacks in Charlie Edbo, and I said that I am outraged at the killing of innocent people. I don't care who those innocent people are. I'm always outraged at the killing of innocent people. But, sisters and brothers, I was not going to say, just me Charlie. I am Charlie. No, I am not Charlie. Charlie Edbo was a publication that vilified our religion, demonized our prophet. They were bigoted and Islamophobic, and I am absolutely not going to say that I'm a racist and a bigot and an Islamophobe, sisters and brothers. <laughs> sisters and brothers, our religion that we follow is a religion about speaking truth to power. We, sisters and brothers, oftentimes try to change our story a little bit because we want to make people feel comfortable. I don't care if people are comfortable, sisters and brothers. What I care about is I care that I'm speaking the truth. And the people who are uncomfortable, they are the ones that have to sit with their discomfort, not you. You are not to change things or exaggerate things or maybe make things less so people can accept it more. Your job, sisters and brothers, has always been to speak the truth, nothing but the truth, and always speak to the truth no matter who the audience is that you're speaking to. Because that, sisters and brothers, is Islam. I'm also tired of this, sisters. I'm tired of the people that want to keep telling everybody about what Islam is. You know, you want to sit people down or you want to give them a pamphlet as they're walking down the street. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever learned anything meaningful about somebody else's religion by reading something in a book? Or by reading a pamphlet that somebody passed you in the street? That's not how you learn about people. That's not how you experience people. So I'm going to tell you, sisters and brothers, about a beautiful story that happened. How, and, and how it helps me to understand what it means to allow people to experience our beautiful faith. There was a black poet, a woman poet, who passed away last year, and her name was Maya Angelou. And Maya, I'm going to paraphrase, I don't know the exact quote, but Maya Angelou says something that is very important. She says, don't focus too much on the words. Focus on how you make people feel. And I'm going to say this to you, sisters and brothers. You're going to leave here today. You may not remember anything that any of us said. Seriously, we got a lot of things going on in our mind. But I will guarantee you this. You will remember how people made you feel. 
So let's stop focusing on trying to sit people down and tell them about the five pillars of Islam or who our prophet was. Let's start showing people what Islam is. Let's let people experience the compassion and the love and the justice, uh, justice of our beautiful faith. And that happens to some of Last year on April 13th of 2015, I marched with a group of 100 people from New York City, from Staten Island, all the way down to Washington, D.C. These young people, young, predominantly black and Latino young people, tired of hearing about young black men and women being killed on the streets of their communities at the hands of law enforcement. And they said, Sister Linda, and yes, they're non-Muslim, and they call me Sister Linda. They said, Sister Linda, we're tired of this. Nobody cares about us. No one is doing anything about this. Every day we hear about people in our communities that are being killed, and it's like another day in the United States of America, and we're tired of it. So me and my friend, one who's African-American named Tamika Mallory, and another sister named Carmen Perez, who's a Mexican-American, says, so what do you want to do? We want to march from New York City to Washington, D.C., and we want to start from Staten Island, where Eric Garner, who many of you saw a video of Eric Garner, who was choked by a New York City police officer, and in that video, Eric Garner, who was unarmed, asked the police officer to breathe. Eleven times, sisters and brothers, in this video that millions of people watched across the world where a father and a grandfather was asking a police officer for some rahmah, some mercy, to let go of his neck. And because that police officer had no rahmah in him, this young, it wasn't a young man, a middle-aged man, died on the streets of his community. So we told these young people, you must be crazy. I said, do you know where Washington, D.C. is? Washington, D.C. is 250 miles away from New York City. They said they didn't care. They wanted to march. They wanted to do something to draw attention to the brutality against people of color by law enforcement agencies across the country. So I, I was a co-chair of the march. I left my family for nine days, and I said, you know what? These young people have so much conviction, so much principles. I'm going to march with them. So I thought to myself, what can I do as a Muslim in this opportunity? I have a hundred people, many of them, pretty much only six of the hundred were Muslim. So the majority of them non-Muslim. So what was my responsibility? What could I do? What kind of opportunity can I give them to experience my faith? So I found a masjid, sisters and brothers. I found a masjid in Philadelphia. So you know, every night we had to find some place to sleep. So my responsibility, the responsibility of Tamika and Carmen, that we had to protect these hundred people on the highways. We had to make sure they had things to eat on the way down there, that they had places to sleep at night. So I, you know how it is in our community. You call one uncle, and another uncle calls another uncle, and then you find a masjid. So I found this beautiful masjid in Philadelphia called Al Hidayah Center, the, the gift. And it was absolutely a gift to me and the hundred people who marched with me. I called them up and I said, Assalamu alaikum, this is my story. These are the people that I have. I want to bring them so that you can host them for a night to sleep at your masjid. This beautiful imam heard the story, heard the reason why we were marching. He said to me, our home is your home, Sister Linda. You bring your friends and you come and stay at our mosque. So we get to Philadelphia and we some people pick us up and we go to this um, masjid and we show up and here are this beautiful imam and his board members and their families welcoming us into this masjid, cooked a beautiful elaborate meal for us sisters and brothers, told us here we have showers here, what do you need, how can we make your stay comfortable here? And then at about 11 o'clock at night, these young brothers came to me and said, Sister Linda, what happened to the people at the mosque, where did they go? I said, well, it's 11 o'clock at night, they probably went home to sleep with their families. They said, wait a minute, what do you 
What do you mean they went home to sleep with their families? You mean they left a hundred strangers that they never met at the mosque? I said, of course they did. Because in our faith, these mosques, these centers are not, they don't belong to people. These are the houses of God. And you are a creation of God. So that means that this house is as much yours as it is mine. And tonight, tonight, the security, the amana of this mosque is in your hands. Sisters and brothers, do you understand how empowered these young people felt? They were locking the doors. They were going outside. I said, don't worry. It's going to be all right. They felt so loved, trusted, embraced by our community. Then it even gets better. 5.30 in the morning, the adhan goes off. I'm on the sister's side. There's like two separate buildings. Come knock on my door. Sister Linda, what's that sound? Because, you know, when the adhan happens, it's in a speaker and everybody hears. I said, well, that's the call to prayer. It's time for us as Muslims to get up and pray the morning prayer. He said, you know, we don't understand what he's saying, but it just feels so peaceful. It just sounds so beautiful. Sisters and brothers didn't even understand what the Imam was saying. Then we go downstairs. Again, the same people that we saw the day before came downstairs, cooked us an elaborate breakfast that they cooked at the masjid in the cafeteria. Then we grabbed our stuff, we put our luggages back on the trailer, and here are these people from the masjid. They have cases of water that they're putting, they're like loading it into our trailer. And I said, what are you doing, brothers? They said, no, here box of bananas and tangerines, and they said, this is for you on your journey. And then the imam, by the way, whose English was not that great, said in front of these young people, he said, I want to make a, make a prayer for you. He said, I pray that God protects you on the way, and that he is with you throughout your journey, and that you find the justice that you are seeking, and if that you are not to find this justice in this life, that you will find justice in the afterlife. And continued to make du'a for them, and we all left the masjid, and we went back to the route where we ended the night before. Sisters and brothers, you want to talk about how to combat Islamophobia? Those hundred young people that I was with will never allow anyone to demonize our faith, and they will be the biggest soldiers defending Islam, sisters and brothers. This, sisters and brothers, is how we show people our humanity and how we care about social justice and justice for all people. This, sisters and brothers, is the beauty of our faith when people are in need of, of, of support and they turn around and they find fellow Muslims standing there with them. We don't come there because, you know, we think it's a good idea. We come there because our faith calls us to be where justice is needed because that, sisters and brothers, is the foundation of our beautiful faith that we follow. Sisters and brothers, we have to understand that in this country, when we say justice, justice is not just us. We will never in this country win full rights as Muslims if we are not fighting alongside other communities who are also fighting for their civil and human rights in this country. Sisters and brothers, when I think about the time in August 2014, when a young boy in Ferguson, Missouri, in a place that I never heard of, I didn't even know there's a place called Ferguson, Missouri, when a young boy, it doesn't matter, sisters and brothers, what Mike Brown did before he got shot. People will say, oh, well, 
He roughed up the store owner. Oh, maybe he stole something from the store. He was a young person. Whatever Mike Brown did, he did not deserve public execution on the streets of his community, sisters and brothers. Not only did Mike Brown get shot as a young, unarmed young boy right in front of his apartment complex, but for four and a half hours, sisters and brothers, that young boy laid outside in the streets, swimming in his blood. No ambulance, no EMT, no 911, no family members were allowed to touch him. And then if you think that was bad enough, sisters and brothers, four and a half hours later, an SUV pulled up, they picked up Mike Brown off the floor, threw him in the back of an SUV like he was a like he was an animal, like he was a bag of rocks. That didn't happen, sisters and brothers, in Palestine or in Afghanistan or in Iraq. That happened right here in the greatest nation on earth to a young boy that could have been any one of our children. And what moved me about that story, sisters and brothers, is that it was the same summer when Gaza was under bombardment by the Israeli government. There were houses being demolished, babies scattered on the streets. There was young people, Muslim young people in Gaza, barely who had internet access, maybe they were gonna die tomorrow, they didn't know. They were sending messages to kids in Ferguson, telling the kids in Ferguson how to protect themselves from the tear gas that was being thrown at them by the National Guards and the military apparatus that was sent to Ferguson. So here I am in Brooklyn thinking to myself, I'm an American Muslim, very privileged, safe, living a pretty good life in Brooklyn, New York, and here are my sisters and brothers in Gaza who barely have internet access that are providing advice and resources and standing in solidarity with people in Ferguson. I was ashamed, sisters and brothers. I was, at that moment, I questioned my own humanity. You know what I did? I got on an airplane and I went to Ferguson. I went to bear witness, sisters and brothers. And you know what people were asking me there? They, were, they, weren't, they weren't confused. They weren't pushing me away. They were, they were loving me for being there. They were welcoming me into their community. They were talking to me and asking me who I am and where I'm from. And if you notice now, sisters and brothers, in the what we're calling now the Black Lives Matter movement, do you notice in the Black Lives Matter movement the solidarity between black people and black organizers and activists with Palestine? The Palestinian Solidarity Liberation Movement had been uplifted as part of the Black Lives Matter movement. Because, sisters and brothers, there was solidarity. There was a way of showing each other empathy and love, which is exactly what our faith is about. So I tell you this, when you hear about a young boy in Newark, New Jersey, or Trenton, New Jersey, who's unarmed and, and killed at the hands of law enforcement, when you go there to support that community or that family, you're not an ally. You're not a light-skinned white ally, sisters and brothers. We are Muslim. One-third of the American Muslim community is African-American. So when you are out there calling for justice for young people like Mike Brown, you are also doing that for your own sisters and brothers who have to be black and Muslim in 2016 in the United States of America. <laughs> sisters and brothers, social justice movements in America are only natural for the American Muslim community. And I tell you, sisters and brothers, when we're learning about the Sita of the Prophet, if our Prophet was a person that stood with all marginalized people, with all poor people, if he was calling for equality and justice, why are we not doing that, sisters and brothers? We have, this, is, this is who we are to follow. This is when we pray and invoke the name of our Prophet and his companions. This exa is exactly why we, sisters and brothers, have shortchanged our beautiful faith by not being part and active in social justice movements in the United States of America. And I want to talk 
very briefly about the Islamophobes for, the se for a second. I don't like to give them too much time, but I like to learn from the Islamophobes. I think they got some things to teach us. When the Islamophobes attack our community, let's talk about this for a minute. If they are vandalizing a masjid, do you think that the Islamophobes go online and Google to see if that masjid is Shia or Sunni or where that imam came from or, or what madhab that masjid is? When they attack our sisters on the streets who are wearing hijab, do you think they tap the sister on the shoulder and tell her, are you from Pakistan or from India? Or are you Palestinian? They don't care. All they know, sisters and brothers, is that sister is Muslim and that masjid, Muslims go to that masjid. So I want to ask you a question. And I ask myself this question all the time. If the Islamophobes are treating us like we are one community, why are we not acting like we're one community, sisters and brothers? You want to combat Islamophobia, we have the opportunity to be a united, resilient community because the Islamophobe sisters and brothers know exactly where the cracks are in the community. They know which imam doesn't talk to which imam. They know sometimes there may be some divisions between the Sunnis and the Shias in our community. They know that we are divided sometimes by class. Some of the elite Muslims don't get down with some of the poorer Muslims. You think they don't know? They know. So they play off what they see are, are our weaknesses. So why are we giving them that? Why are we providing them that on a silver platter, sisters and brothers? We, sisters and brothers, only have each other. And we cannot expect anybody else to do for us if we don't do for each other. If we are not doing for our young people, if we are not instilling the values and the confidence in our young people, who's supposed to do that? It is our responsibility, sisters and brothers, to put whatever issues that have divided us in the past to the side. They're not worth it anymore, sisters and brothers. And why I'm so proud of this next generation of young people is, alhamdulillah, they do not carry the baggage of our elders. We don't care if you're Shia or Sunni. We don't care if you're a family from Pakistan or you're African-American. We know one thing, we are American Muslims and we will stand together and we will stand confidently and strong against anyone who wants to attack us in our community. I want to say this to you, sisters and brothers. Don't be distracted by Donald Trump. I'm not distracted by Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't scare me. Ted Cruz doesn't scare me. And I think the reason we allow these people to intimidate us or for us to be worried about some uncertainty of the future that comes is first and foremost, that's our problem. That's on us. The reason why we're intimidated is because we're not a strong, resilient, and united community. Because if we were, none of that would matter to us. And we have to remember, sisters and brothers, that we talk about Islamophobia right now and how it's impacting our communities. But the first victim of Islamophobia was our Prophet ﷺ. Our Prophet, sisters and brothers, saw things that you would never see. And as bad as, as, bad as it is now, sisters and brothers, you will never see and, and, and experience what our Prophet experienced when he was spreading the message of Islam. But look how ironic this is. While our Prophet was being and experiencing Islamophobia, even though we didn't call it Islamophobia, you know, 1400 years ago, but Guess what happened? He was still able to convert millions of people across the world and bring them into our beautiful faith. How is that possible? How is that possible that we sisters and brothers are not even experiencing the same type of intimidation and harassment as our prophet and we're so intimidated? Here he was, one man with a message of truth that was being intimidated and he somehow still 
got through it, and was able to welcome and bring in more people into our beautiful faith. This is our inspiration, sisters and brothers. This is our faith. These are our leaders and our inspiration that we must follow and remember so that we are not sitting in the United States of America afraid that someone's going to send us somewhere where we don't, some of us never been to, right? This is our country, sisters and brothers, and we need to remember that every single day. I want you to leave here today, sisters and brothers, unapologetically Muslim. People tell me, well, Sister Linda, what? I tell them it's very simple. There's nothing extraordinary about me. I'm a child of immigrants. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn. I went to public school my whole life. Nothing special about me. But you know what, sister? I'm so proud to be Muslim. I'm proud. Every day I'm prouder to be Muslim and to stand up and tell people that I am Muslim. And that is what scares the Islamophobes. What scares the Islamophobes, sisters and brothers, is sisters like me. They want to say our women are oppressed and our women don't have voices and they can't speak and we need permission from males in our community. When people see women like me in hijab, speaking truth to power, without fear, sisters and brothers, because I know in our faith the only fear we should have is fear of God, sisters and brothers, okay? That, I, 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 Sister Christina, the sisters that are here, we shatter every stereotype that these Islamophobes have. So that's what we still have to do, and that's why encouraging our young people, encouraging our sisters to be leaders and organizers is the way that we're going to combat Islamophobia in the United States of America. And I'm telling you one more thing, sisters and brothers. We have an election coming up. I'm tired of the Muslims who wake up every four years because there's an election. There's elections every year in our cities, and all politics is local, sisters and brothers. We have the power to show our political muscle in the United States of America. And I'll tell you this much. Michigan proved to you what it means when Muslims go in the droves to the polls and defy every single political assumption that there was when it came to the primaries. I'm going to tell you this much, sisters and brothers. They intimidate us because they don't think we're a political power. They think we don't know how democracy works because many of us come from countries where there are no democracy. Newsflash, we know exactly how democracy works in this country. And the reason why we're going to go to the polls, and I want you to commit to go to the polls, is because our sisters and brothers in parts of the world, including in places like Yemen and in Syria and in Egypt and parts of North Africa, they are ready to stand in front of snipers, sisters and brothers. They are willing to die for the right to vote. And here you are privileged in the United States of America with the right, and all you have to do is wake up in the morning and walk to the polls, and you're not even taking that opportunity. That is a disgrace and a dishonor for your fellow sisters and brothers in the Muslim world who dream of a day of free elections and free democracy so they can put in people that in front of their live in a country where people before you died for your right to vote. And I, every time I go to the polls, whether I like who's on the ballot or not, I vote in their honor to remind them that no matter what, I remembered what they had to sacrifice for me to be where I am here today. So sisters and brothers, it is your obligation and social responsibility to make sure that you participate in the democratic process here in the United States and you tell them that the Muslim community in this country, we know how to play politics too. And I just want to say one last thing. For those of us in our community who are a little more privileged, and this happens all the time, where we have, you know, sisters and brothers who do fundraisers at their houses, you know, we bring in politicians. That's cool, we need to do that. It's all about the money and the votes. But I want to make sure that we do this together. When you invite someone to your house and you're raising money for them, before you drop that $20,000 in their pocket, you better be asking for something in return, sisters and brothers, because they're taking free money from our community and we're not getting what we deserve and what our communities deserve with the taxpayer dollars that we pay in this country. 
So I'm leaving you today letting you know that we are enough, sisters and brothers. We are worthy. We deserve dignity and respect, and we are not out here asking for anybody or any favors. We are asking for the dignity and the respect that our community deserves and all communities in the United States of America deserve. Assalamu alaikum.